Okay, so everyone find, find Ecclesiastes chapter 9 in your Bible. And we're going to be meditating this morning on verse 10. We're just going to take one verse. Yep, chapter 9, verse 10. This is what it says. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For there is no activity or planning or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol where you are going. Let's pray. Father, take this word of Scripture that you breathed out hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Bring it, Lord, into our midst today with life. Cause it to invigorate and motivate us to greater works for Jesus Christ. That's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. One of my favorite authors, Bishop J.C. Ryle, he lived in the... Uh, 1800s in England, he was a contemporary of Charles Spurgeon. He made this statement. A second lease of life is granted to no man. Then let us resist procrastination as we would resist the devil. Let me read that quote to you again. A second lease of life is granted to no man. Then let us resist procrastination as we would resist the devil. See, Bishop J.C. Ryle understood that when you lose time, you never find it again. When we have lost time, it's irrecoverable. It is gone. Time is not a commodity that you can store up for future use, like gold or silver or cash. It's not like that. It must be invested hour by hour, or it's gone forever. And procrastination is a thief of time. Every one of us has a definite amount of time that's been allotted to us. And if we procrastinate and put off things, we are losing that commodity that has been granted to us and we're never going to get it back. And none of us knows how much time has been allotted to us. My time may be up this afternoon and I may stand before the Lord. Or I may have 30 more years. It's all in the hands of God. But none of us knows how long it is. Time is so precious and we have so little of it that we need to treat it very, very uh, carefully and cherish it. Now, the reason I'm thinking about time, of course, is because New Year's Day comes up in five days. 2016 is about to burst upon us. And every time we come to a new year, I start thinking about the passing of time. I can remember in the second grade, I was in a Catholic school, and I put my name on the left-hand side, and I would write the date on the right-hand side. And I can still remember writing 1966. And I think, wow. I remember as a little kid thinking, will I ever make it to 2000? It seems like such a long time. I'm going to be 41. I'll be an old man. Will I ever make it to 2000? And here it is, 2000, almost 2016. Every year when time passes, I think, I've got less of of those sands in my hourglass left. You know, as a young man, most of it was on top and just a little bit of it had fallen. And now most of it's already fallen and there's only a little bit left on top. Every year time is passing and we have to think about what are we doing with our life? How are we investing this precious commodity that God has given to us? Do we take this seriously or do we squander such a precious thing? 
So 2015 is almost gone. 2016 may hold many things. Some of you may find you are moving from one house to another in the next year. Some of you may change jobs. Some of you may face serious illness, some major surgery. Some of us may even die in the 2016. We don't know. We have no idea what's going to happen. Jesus Christ may even return in 2016. Wouldn't that be a thrill for our Lord to come back? But we do know that Jesus Christ has commanded us to diligently serve him until he returns. Now, Ecclesiastes 9.10 was written by a man named Solomon. He was the king of Israel. God had given him more wisdom than anyone who came before him. And probably anyone that came after him saved Jesus Christ. He's a very, very wise man. He wrote the Proverbs. Um, he wrote this book of Ecclesiastes. He refers to the preacher all over and over. And what Solomon learned in the book of Ecclesiastes is that it is empty and futile to live for pleasure and to live for power and to live for possessions. He had all those things. He was a very wealthy man. He was a powerful man. His life was filled with pleasures. But yet, when he reviewed all of that, he said, it's really empty. It's vanity. It's like the, the wind that chases away. So, what I want to do is meditate on Ecclesiastes 9.10 so that we can serve God diligently in 2016 and not be ashamed of how we misspend our time. And so, there's three questions from this text. Number one, what is it that we should do? Number two, how should we do it? Number three, why should we do it? Number one, what should we do? The text says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it. That's what you should do. How should we do it? Do it with all your might. Why should we do it? Because there's no activity or planning or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol where you are going. That's why you should live today and every day with all of your might. Let's take the first one. The first question is, what should we do? And Solomon says, whatever your hand finds to do. Now, let's break that down a little bit. I think that means, first of all, do what you can do. A lot of times we like to dream and imagine, if I was a millionaire, this is what I would do. I would give millions to the work of God. Or if I was the president... I would use that influence to spread righteousness throughout our whole nation. Uh, or if I was a Billy Graham, I would go from coast to coast and I would preach the gospel to thousands and see thousands converted. The problem is, of course, I'm not a millionaire and I'm not the president and I'm not Billy Graham and neither are you. And none of us are going to have opportunities to do any of those things. We can't give millions because we don't have millions. We can't spread our influence across the nation because we're not popular and famous. And we can't preach like Billy Graham because God hasn't called us to do that. So, what I'm encouraging you to do is, do what you can do. What is it that you can do? You may not be able to preach in front of thousands, but you could start an investigative Bible study where you work with some of the employees there. Or maybe in your neighborhood. Some of the people that you've gotten to know, you can invite them over to your house one night a week. And you can go through the scripture together and help them to come to understand the gospel. You could do that. Every Christian here could do that. <clears throat> you may not be able to give out millions, but you could give hundreds 
And over the course of a year, perhaps thousands of dollars to the work of God, if you had a heart to do that, and you were, had a generous heart. Um, you may not be able to do all of the things I listed, but you could teach children. You could serve here in the church teaching the children. You could bring food, like one of our sisters does every week, and feed the congregation or take food to people that are, are sick or shut-ins and need help. You could encourage somebody else here in the body, starting to meet with them on a weekly basis and uh, pour your life into them. Start thinking about the things that you can do, things that are within the realm of possibility and how God has made you and gifted you. Secondly, what should we do? We should do what God brings to us. Notice the text. Whatever your hand finds to do. That word finds is an interesting word because it implies that you've discovered something. Something has come into view. You found it. There it is. You didn't see it before. Now you see it. You found something. So whatever your hand finds to do, do it. So what are the things that your hand finds to do? I think these are the things that God brings into your life and shows you. He, he shows that you have the ability to be able to serve Him in such a way. He opens up your understanding and He opens up your eyes to see an avenue of ministry that you didn't see before. I'll just share a bit of a personal testimony. Uh, it was about the year two. Th well, no, no, no. About the year 1980 one or 1982. Okay, I've just been married <clears throat> and I've discovered that I really like to teach the Bible. That I just had a, a, a burning desire and an appetite to study the scriptures and to teach other people. And I wasn't a pastor, I was just an ordinary Christian in an ordinary church, but I started to lead a home Bible study. And I loved it. And I started to take all of my commentaries, my study books to work. And I had a, an hour break for lunch and I had two 15-minute breaks. And I'd take all my books into the, the, uh, the room there and close the door off. And I would study. And I would, just, I would love it. I would take notes all the time. And then I'd compile those notes and we'd go into somebody's house and I would teach the Bible. And that just kept on increasing and increasing to the point where whenever Debbie and I would take a, a trip somewhere... We'd be going through these towns and we'd be thinking, I wonder if we could move here and start a church. Because I was already starting to feel this prompting to, to pastor God's people and to teach them the Word of God. Now, that's something I found to do. I Believe me, I had no idea that I would ever publicly be a speaker. <laughs> because I, I'm naturally a very shy person. I hated having to get up and give oral reports in school. I absolutely hated it. In fact, I wouldn't even ask questions. I'd sit in the back row and just listen. You know, I, that's not me. God did this. Whatever your hand finds to do, God opened it up and I found it. There's my ministry. There it is. And, and I want you to begin to think about, okay, what is it that the Lord has opened your heart to desire to do? Chances are the thing that's really on your heart the most is what he's gifting you to do. 1 Timothy 3.1 says, If any man aspires to the office of an overseer, it's a good work he desires to do. You ever think about that? An overseer is a pastor or a shepherd. Or he's, he's an elder. He's an elder in the church. If any man aspires, you know what that word means? It means wants to do it. 
There's, there's an aspiration in his heart to do this thing. It's a good work he desires to do. So no one should ever choose a pastor uh, against his will. Saying, well, you're going to be our pastor because you know more of the Bible than we do. But he says, I don't even want to do it. If a man doesn't want to be a pastor, he shouldn't be a pastor. God's got to put that in his heart. And whatever ministry God is calling you to, he'll give you a desire for that. He'll put a burning in your heart, a, a desire and an aspiration to serve him in a particular way. And once you've found it, go for it. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, the Bible says. With all your might. And then thirdly, what should we do? Whatever your hand finds to do. See, the word whatever balances the word finds. The word finds points to a desire within to do something, but this other word whatever balances that out because there may be some things that your hand finds to do that you're not really crazy about doing. Some things, yeah, I found that thing, I love it, I'm going to do it with all my might. But there's uh, this whatever over on this side that teaches me there are some things that I'm not crazy about doing. Like, I'm not crazy about going out and doing dog duty. But that's something that has to be done for church on Sunday. I'm not uh, crazy about vacuuming every Saturday, but that has to be done because we have church in our house. Um, there's probably lots of things. Changing diapers for you moms. <laughs> it's not a fun... I, I mean, I don't think anyone gets their, their jollies out of changing diapers. <laughs> But it's got to be done. There, there are things that we do to serve the Lord. And, and the things I've just mentioned, you can be serving the Lord in the most mundane things, the most yucky things in the world, if you do it for Christ. So it can be anything. It can be doing dishes. It can be cooking. It can be me going out on my job eight hours a day and trying to glorify God, cleaning windows and cleaning gutters and being a man of integrity with my customers. So all of that... Whatever your hand finds to do, the things you really love to do, and the things you know that you are called to do and you don't like to do, all of that stuff, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Resolve to do everything you do with everything you have. So what has your hand found to do so far? What is it? Think about that. What is God calling you to do? If you're a mother and a wife... You know those gift, those callings, those responsibilities he's already given to you. To be a faithful wife and a godly mother to raise up your children to know and love Christ. If you're a husband and a dad, you know some of the things that go along with that. Bringing up your children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Loving your wife as Christ loved the church. Working faithfully day by day by day, being responsible, providing for the needs of your family. That's just the tip of the iceberg. We're just starting there. The book of Titus, uh, chapter 2, verse 14, says this. It says that Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. That's the phrase I want you to meditate on. Jesus gave himself to create a people who are zealous for good deeds. That word zealous refers to <clears throat> having a fire in your heart. It, it refers to water being brought to a boiling pitch. It refers to that athlete who's straining every nerve as he runs towards the finish line. 
It means a person who is on fire for Christ and desires to do good deeds to honor his Savior. So whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Someone once said, the idler, the man, the busier, the tempter. See, idleness is not part of God's plan for our lives. God doesn't want us to sit around doing nothing. He wants to, us to use our life and use the time He's given us to do what is important eternally. So there is the first question. What should we do? What we can do, what God brings to you, and whatever your hand finds to do. Second question. How are we to do it? Well, our text tells us, Ecclesiastes, we're to do it with all of our might. Do it with all of your might. Now just think about those two first words. Do it. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it. In other words, don't think about doing it. Don't simply plan on doing it. Don't regret not doing it in the past. Do it. Do it today. Start today doing what you know God wants you to do. Don't put it off anymore. Don't procrastinate anymore. There's all kinds of good things we know we should be doing, and we say, one day I'll get around to that. No, don't make excuses anymore. Start doing what you know God wants you to do today. Do it. Don't say tomorrow. Today is the only time in which we have to live, not tomorrow. The past is already gone. The future hasn't arrived yet. The only time you can deal with responsibly is right now. So what are you doing with your life right now? If you have a problem with procrastination, this is a sermon for you. <laughs> That's a sin. Procrastination is a sin because your time is precious. God doesn't want you to waste it or to squander it. He wants you to use it wisely in the moment. So, if you're a new believer, don't say, well, I guess I'm going to have to wait five or ten years before I grow in Christian maturity, and then maybe God can use me. No, that's not true. God can use you right now. He can use you right now. If you're elderly, don't think, well, you know, I'm almost to the age of retirement. When I turn 65, then I can just, won't have to work anymore, and then I can really serve the Lord. No. Serve the Lord right now, wherever age you are, wherever you're at, in fact, I don't even, the Bible doesn't even talk about retirement. It's an unbiblical idea. <laughs> We're to use our life until we die, not until we turn 65. <clears throat> so, we are to do it. That's the first thing. Do it. You know, just Nike, just do it. And that's a good saying. <laughs> Instead of thinking about doing it, planning on doing it, waiting around one day to do it, do it today. Secondly, how should you do it? With all of your might. I love that phrase. Has God called you to love your wife? Love her with all of your might. Has he called you to teach those children the word of God? Then teach him with all your might. Has he called you to provide for your family? Then work hard and diligently with all of your might. In other words, give, your, give everything you have to this fleeting lifetime that God has blessed you with under the sun. 70, 80 years, and it's gone. Before you know it, it's going to be gone. Don't do things half-heartedly or listlessly, as though you're half asleep. Do it fully awake with every ounce of energy you've got. Give, give your life to it. Give your whole soul to those things that God has called you to do. Folks, we need a faith that burns deep down into our heart and expresses itself in deeds. 
Have you ever heard of the man William Booth? Anybody here? You have? Okay. William Booth was the first general of the Salvation Army. He started the Salvation Army in the mid-1800s over in England. And this is one of his famous sayings. I like my tea as I like my religion. H-O-T, hot. <laughs> he liked a hot religion. He would, he would lead people out into the streets of England, and they would have these brass bands playing, and they would gather a big crowd, usually the homeless people and the alcoholics and the people that were down and out. They'd all gather around, and then he'd step up on a, on a platform, and he'd preach on the streets of England. And that's how the Salvation Army started. We think of it as people ringing a bell at Christmas time in front of Kmart. That, that's not the Salvation Army. They have a, a burning desire for the lost. If you get to know some of the people that are involved in that, that, uh, that church, it's actually a church. Jesus said, zeal for your house has consumed me. Jesus was a man of zeal. And when he talked about God's house, he wasn't talking about the temple. He's talking about God's people, the house of God, the people of God. Zeal for God's house consumed Jesus to the point where he gave up his life on the cross. Now, if we are to be representatives of Jesus Christ in this world, we ought to be able to say, Father, zeal for your house also consumes me. Zeal for your people wherever they are in this world. Whether they're lost and need to be saved, whether they're young and need to be discipled, whether they need to be encouraged, zeal for your people wherever they are consumes me. They should be on our heart to love and serve the people of God. Is God worth serving? Then He's worth serving with all your might. Not half-heartedly with, you know, well, maybe one of these I'll get around to it if I'm not too tired. Come on, folks. Pull ourselves together. Let's, let's serve the Lord with more than just a, you know, a fraction of our might. Let's give Him all our might. Let's not give Him the leftovers. Give Him the best. Let me read to you an article from an atheist. This guy's a good preacher. This, this, this atheist is actually a good preacher. He says, If I firmly believed, as millions say they do, that the knowledge and practice of religion in this life influences destiny in another, then religion would mean to me everything. I would cast away earthly enjoyments as dross, earthly cares as follies, and earthly thoughts and feelings as vanity. Religion would be my first waking thought and my last image before sleep sank me into unconsciousness. I should labor in its cause alone. I would take thought, I would take no thought for the morrow. But I would take thought for the morrow of eternity alone. I would esteem one soul gained for heaven worth a life of suffering. Earthly consequences would never stay my hand or seal my lips. Earth, its joys and its griefs would occupy no moment of my thoughts. I would strive to look upon eternity alone and on the immortal souls around me, soon to be everlastingly happy or everlastingly miserable. I would go forth to the world and preach to it in season and out of season. And my text would be, what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Now that's an atheist talking and there's more real religion and what that man <laughs> knows that we should be about than we have in our own lives. I mean, he understands what a true Christian should look like. Someone who lives for eternity and uses his life to prepare for eternity and snatch brands out of the burning. So, the first question is, what should we do? 
whatever your hand finds to do. How should you do it? With all your might. Thirdly, why should we do it? Well, the preacher tells us in Ecclesiastes 9.10, he says, this is why you should do it. Because there is no activity or planning or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol where you were going. The word Sheol is used 65 times in the Old Testament, and it's usually translated grave. What he's talking about is you're going to the grave, and once you die and are gone, you're not going to be able to come back to this life and plan and do activities, have wisdom and knowledge, and do the things that you're doing now. Your life will be over. You will have gone on to your reward. But there will be no more opportunities to do anything in this life. This is the only chance, folks, we ever get. You get one shot at this thing. How, how serious do we take that one opportunity we have? You know, in heaven, we'll never be able to witness or speak the gospel to another soul that is lost because everyone in heaven saved. No opportunities to bring people to Christ when you get to heaven. When you get to heaven, there's going to be no more opportunities to suffer for Christ because nobody suffers in heaven. <laughs> you, you see... Our, our opportunities to do good and to lay up treasure in heaven are now. And once you die, there is no more activity, planning, knowledge, or wisdom in Sheol, in the grave where you're going. We won't be able to redo our lives later on. While we're still able to plan and to think and to have knowledge and wisdom, we need to use it. Remember Jesus' words in... The, uh, John 9, 4, when that man who was born blind was brought to him, Jesus said, we must work the works of him who sent us. As long as it is day, night is coming when no man can work. Now, what's he talking about? Jesus was saying, while I am in this world, it's like the daytime. He said, we must, not we might or we may, we must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. In other words, as long as I'm alive in this world, I must work the works of my father because night is coming, the time when I will die, when no man can work. And, and Jesus didn't say, I must work the works of him who sent me. He said, we, referring to himself and to his disciples. So that's, you're included. All of us here today, we must work the works of the Father who sends us because night, our death, is coming when no man can work. Matthew Henry put it this way, This we know, that if the work of life be not done when our time is done, we are undone forever. I like that. This we know, that if the work of life be not done when our time is done, we are undone forever. You see, we're all walking toward our grave. And every day brings us a step closer to that grave. And when we are dead, it's too late to repent. It's too late to believe. It's too late to bring forth the fruits of righteousness. It's too late to strive to enter the narrow door. It's too late. Your chances are over. What I'm trying to impress upon you with everything I have this morning is to take your life seriously and the amount of time you have left in this life and live it to the full instead of frittering away on things that just don't matter. 
Find something important that has eternal ramifications and invest yourself in that. Ideas. Find a younger believer that needs help growing in Christ and start meeting with them once a week. You can do that. Meet over at Starbucks once a week and have a Bible study together. Just read through a book of the Bible and help them to understand what the gospel's all about. Start thinking outside of your, your tiny little world that's just you and your family and start thinking, okay, I am Christ's representative in this world. What would he want me to do? How can I make an impact on the world around me while I'm still here? What can I do to help another person towards heaven? Now, of course, you're going to invest in your wife and children. That's a no-brainer. We all, we have to do that. That's where we start. We invest in our families first. But don't limit yourself to just your family. Start to think, okay, where else can I invest my life to help others know Christ and help lost people come to know Jesus? Jonathan Edwards put it like this. Life is so short and we have so much to crowd into it, we can't spare to waste a moment of it. And if you go back and read the history of the great men of God in the past, one of the things that you will almost always find about them is they didn't waste time. Their lives were busy. They were crowded because they crowded as much into it as they could. <laughs> you know, we, we talk about we shouldn't be busy people. We should have these... I, I don't buy it. I believe that if we are to serve the Lord with all of our might, it's going to mean that we're laying our lives out. And we're, we're trying to find good that we can do. In fact, some Catholic monks used to read their, from their Bible. They'd stick, they stick their, um, a candle inside of a skull, light the candle, and read their Bible by the light of that candle stuck in somebody's skull. And I think, well, that, that's a healthy way of envisioning your life is short. You're going to be just like that skull one day. That's, that's you in just a matter of years. What are you doing with your time? Life is too short for us to do everything we want to do, but it is long enough for us to do everything God wants us to do. People talk about reincarnation, and they think, oh, don't worry about it. If you don't make it this time, you're going to, have to come around next time. Maybe you'll be a dog or a cat or a monkey or whatever, but you'll be able to live life again. You know, the reincarnation's a lie. It's a lie of the devil. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die, not 10 times or 50 times, once to die, and then comes the judgment. So reincarnation is not biblical. You're not going to come back again. This is your only chance, your only opportunity to do what God wants you to do. Revelation 14, verse 13. It's a great, great passage there. John says, And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, so that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow with them. He talks about these people who enter into the presence of God. They're resting from their labors, not their vacations. And I'm not against vacations. I think we all need one from time to time to rejuvenate. But if your whole life is a vacation... Something's wrong with that. <laughs> if your whole life is watching seven hours of TV a day, something's very wrong with that. If your whole life is playing five hours of video games a day, something's wrong with that. Folks, isn't there something more important we can do than watch TV and play video games? I mean, really, let's get real. <laughs> can we invest one or two hours a week in, in going up to lost people and sharing the gospel with them? Here, that's... 
we've been trying to do that with a couple of teams over the last year. And I would love it if some of you guys would join us and get involved in doing that. I mean, how many hours of TV do you watch a week? 20 or so? Could you give up one or two hours just to go out and share the gospel with lost people? I, I'm, I'm, let, let's, let's, let's get real and let's think about our lives and what really matters. Let me try to apply all of this in four different areas. First of all, your relationship to God. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. And I want to apply that, first of all, just to your relationship with God, which means your time with the Lord daily, in the Word and in prayer. This is where your Christian life begins. You can't even go any further than this. You need a relationship to Christ, and that relationship comes through the Word as He speaks to you, and in prayer as you speak with Him. And so, will 2016 be any different than all the other years before? Or will you commit on a daily basis of seeking the Lord in the Word and in prayer? Okay, that's my first challenge to you. It's got to start there. Good deeds don't flow out of a life that's not in touch with Christ. You have to have a living, vibrant relationship with the Savior. And it starts with that time where you go into your closet and you pray and you sing and you read scripture and you're walking with Jesus and all through the day you're thinking about Jesus. Okay? So I want to encourage you there. Start by committing to on a daily basis spending time with the Lord. It's more important than anything else you do in that day. It is, by far. It's more important than anything else you will do. Secondly, your relationship to your family. And we'll be talking more about this when we get into Ephesians 6.4 again with fathers. But moms and dads, whatever your hand finds to do, that includes your children. Investing in your kids. Loving your kids. Training your kids. Working with your kids. Spending time with your, your kids. Playing with them. Uh, teaching them about God all through the day in all different kinds of situations. Husbands and wives, that, that's talking about your commitment to each other. I would encourage husband and wives to have a weekly date night. I don't know if anybody else in this church does it, but Debbie and I, but we've been doing that for like, I don't know how many years, 20 or 30 years. I don't know how we can stay married without our date night. <laughs> we need it. One night a week, and we just met another couple. They live in Anatolia, right over here on this other street. They invited us over, and they have a date night. Now, he's disabled. So they can't even get up and go. They have their date night in their house. The kids go play in their, their room for an hour or two, and they just spend time together talking or reading or doing things, connecting as a couple. So husbands and wives, cultivate special times with your spouse. Don't become like roommates living in the same home. Find ways to connect. Um, if you're able to afford it, get away, just the two of you, at least once a year for a day, at least a day, uh, if you can make it two days, and just have time between you and your, your spouse. So whatever your hand finds to do, well, your hand finds to love and to serve your family members, your husband, your wife, your children, do that with all your might. Okay, your relationship to the church, whatever church you were a member of. Now, let me start there. If you're not a member of a local church, I'd say make that a priority, that you'll become a member. In other words, you're making, you commit yourself to a local church. 
not simply attending one, but you're, you're committed to that. Whenever I read the epistles of the New Testament, I find that there is a commitment amongst the members. They, they see themselves as a body. They are working together as a body. They're serving and loving one another. There's this give and take. And I believe that's the, the normative pattern we find in the New Testament. So commit yourself to a local church, which means that you're there when the church meets. If that, if, if you are here part of the bridge, I want to just exhort you on Sundays, make it a priority to be here. Except if you're out of town or if you're sick or something else like that. If something unusual comes up, we understand. But other than those things, make it a priority to be with the church on Sunday mornings. Women, I would encourage you to get involved in the ladies study midweek. Men, let's get together for Bible study. Um, currently we're meeting Friday mornings at Panera. Make those occasions where we can fellowship together vital, priority in our lives. And then begin to ask yourself, who can I help that's a member of this church? Who is there in this church that I could have an influence on? Is there someone that's younger than me in the Lord that I can, you know, I can help them. I, I can pour my life into them. I can disciple them. Start to think along those lines. Who else is there? And then another way we can commit ourselves to the church is by committing ourselves to the vision of the church. Our vision here is to make disciples that make disciples. We, don't, we haven't pulled that out of thin air. That's the Great Commission. That's what Jesus told us to do, Matthew 28. We are to make disciples, teaching them to observe everything that he commanded us. Well, what did he command us to do? Make disciples. So we are to teach them to also to make disciples. So if you would link arms together with us to go out and make disciples and teach those people to make disciples, that's what it's all about. That's, that's why Jesus left us on this earth. That's our primary mission as a body. And then fourthly, your relationship to your work. And I put it last because it's probably last in importance. But it's still important. God wants us to have a godly testimony. He wants us to be accurate representatives of Christ to the people that we work with and the people that we work for. He wants us to put in an honest, hard day's work. I love this old saying, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And it's so true. That's the only thing that's going to last. Only what's done for Him. And the great thing is that everything you do, you can do for Him. Everything. Except for sin. You can't do that for Christ. But any, any of the, the jobs and responsibilities that you have as a Christian man, you can do them for the Lord. If there are those here this morning that have never come to Christ, never been converted, then this is a great text for you. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might because there's a day coming when you have no more opportunities to do anything. Your life will be over, and if you die unsaved, you end up in hell for eternity. There's a verse in Jeremiah, I believe it's chapter 8, that says, the harvest is past, and summer is ended, and we are not saved. What a tragic, sad verse of Scripture that is. In other words, life's over. The harvest is past. Summer's ended. 
This life, you can think about it as a harvest time. But are you being harvested? That's his, that's his question there. Harvest is past and we are not saved. Don't ever get to the end of your life facing God on Judgment Day with Him as your enemy rather than as your Savior. Repent while you have opportunity. Strive now to enter by the narrow door. Bring forth the fruits of righteousness, proving that the Spirit of God lives within you. Let's make the year 2016 count. Amen, folks? Amen. Praise God. Let's pray. Lord, we do pray that you would help us to live our lives to the full. Lord, let us use every ounce of energy we have in the service of Christ and bringing you glory. And please convict us of frittering away and wasting our time. Show us what we can do that's valuable. Investing in the lives of your people, Lord. Having the zeal for your house within our hearts. In Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen.